Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Time For Us with me, your host, Danny Wallace. Thank you for joining us today. Today is a really exciting one for me because I get to bring you a insightful episode with a great friend of mine and incredible neuroscientist, Nicole Vignola. Nicole and I haven't seen each other since I think it was 2016 we established was the last time we had hung out. So with me and my boyfriend Aaron being in Lisbon at this time, we decided to pop on over to Madeira, which is the island she's currently living on, just off the coast of Portugal. What a place, guys. If there's anything I can say for Madeira, is it is really an exquisite, exquisite island. In very Danielle fashion, I lugged my podcasting equipment around with me, around the world. I even took it to Boom, which is a story for another day. <laughs> my God. It was so lovely to sit down with someone who I have known for years. Nicole and I have been friends since we were in high school. We used to live together in high school. We have a lot of history and a lot a lot of incredible memories together. So it was really, it's just been such a delight to enter each other's lives at different life phases or different life stages as adults and to prove that we can that we are still friends as adults. That's always an interesting one going into not seeing someone for so many years, seeing them again, and I guess being quite tentative in your approach and curious as to whether this person is who you remember that they were and if you even have any common ground left. But we do, praise be. But that is also a story for another day. Let me get into introducing Nicole to you. Nicole Vignola is a neuroscientist, corporate consultant, brain performance coach, and speaker committed to making neuroscience tangible for the masses. Nicole works with organizations and individuals to teach them how to better understand their unique physiology, providing them with practical tools and science-backed methods to improve their mental health, optimize reflexes, and reach peak mental performance, enhancing their daily lives and careers. With 12 years of coaching experience, Nicole has a BSc in neuroscience from the University of Bristol and is soon to complete an MSc in organizational psychology from the University of the West of England. Her neurohack coaching methods will support individuals, including high-pressure decision makers, to improve their mental capacity and acuity. Through creating healthy physiological and cognitive habits, Nicole enables individuals to best support their mental health, manage stress, and make better decisions. Nicole offers corporate workshops, one-to-one bespoke coaching, group coaching programs, and tangible resources to empower individuals to rewire their narratives. On the notes of Rewire, she's releasing a book. Very exciting. How cool is that? Honestly, not even being funny about it. Like, what the fuck? When your friend is publishing a book through Penguin, uh, me scoos. So yes, Nicole is publishing a book. It's coming out next year. It's called Rewire. We will touch on what the book actually covers further on in the podcast. So you can give it a listen and... I'm sure that you will be putting your name down on the pre-order list following listening to this podcast. Aside from all of these accolades and all this very technical jargon to describe a very soulful and beautiful person, as I always do, I try to introduce my guests, if I know them personally, with more of a heartfelt message. And Nicole is a genuinely caring, tender, She's a <laughs> Nicole is someone who is goofy, if you know her personally. She's silly. She's always laughing. She's a joy to be around. She is nurturing. She's non-judgmental. She has a huge heart. And I'm very grateful to reflect back on my life and see her as such an integral part of it. For so many years, Nicole. For so many years. Look at us now, bitch. <laughs> Thank God we made it out of Richards Bay. That's all I have to say. Without further ado, guys, welcome to Time For Us and please enjoy this conversation with Nicole. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today on Time For Us. So really excited. appreciate it. Yay, thanks for having me. So you are a neuroscientist. You are studying, well, I think are near the end of your studies in organizational psychology and have your past experience as a personal trainer, which you've kind of amalgamated all of these different fields into being a brain performance coach, right? Amazing. 
Thank I you. I feel like it's a very niche industry. Am <laughs> I right in saying that? Uh, yeah, it is. And that's one of the reasons why I started studying organizational psychology is because I wanted to kind of bring neuroscience into organizations and make it applicable because we're learning so many new things through research, but then like we're not really making it that accessible to the masses. So that's where I bridged the sort of neuroscience with organizations yeah but i feel like the knowledge needs to kind of like be made a little bit more accessible because yes. neuroscience is still quite it's not a new subject but it's still quite sort of like new on the scene it's kind of like booming at the moment on social media as well so yeah just making because I, what i get a lot is i'll go into organizations and people know that they should meditate and exercise but they don't really know why so hr's kind of told them that it's good for them and they're like okay cool whatever then i come in and i'm like okay well this is actually what's happening and i go down to the sort of nitty-gritty and the details and they're like oh that makes so much sense and then people are more inclined to want to do it because now it's not just like this thing that they've been told to do that's apparently good for them they know why Okay, so can we backpedal a little bit? Yes. I feel like, obviously, we know each other. So, yeah. lucky me. <laughs> uh, we have some historical data. Yes. And historical data reference points, which are really exciting, at least for me. <laughs> can you help anyone listening get a little bit more of an understanding into who you are and how you came to studying neuroscience? Yeah. How far do you want me to go back? Well, Okay, maybe what you can highlight, because I, I find it really impressive and commendable that you went back to studying. So like maybe you could give a little bit of an introduction yeah. <laughs> into the commitment that it took to actually being a neuroscientist. Yeah, so I actually did my matric in South Africa, but I didn't do very well at all. I think I had like 40 days absence in my last year of matric for a v variety of reasons. Uh, rebellion slash family problems. <laughs> so I thought it would like, you know, be cool to not go to school. Um, so I think my average was like 48%, <laughs> so bad. So I came to England, no, so I had an Italian passport, which is great, I have an Italian passport. So I could basically move to England and I had to pay my taxes for three years before I could even apply to study. So I had to do that. I got a job as a PT. It's great. Um, and then I studied. So I redid my GCSEs, which are kind of like what you do in grade nine. And then I, with that, I could go back to doing college, which is like a foundation year where you basically cram your matric and A-levels all into one year that then allows you, it's called an access to higher education, which then allows you to apply to university. So that was two years. Then I applied to university. Um, I actually applied for medicine first and I didn't get in. So then I kind of lost a year and then I tried again. Um, I applied for neuroscience and because in the interim, I basically read a book called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog and it was a neurologist, psychiatrist, sorry, psychiatrist who basically looks at childhood trauma and all these like, like incredible cases of children that thrive and what, he explains what happens to the brain and I was like, okay, wow, this is actually mind blowing. I need to study that. So I wanted to do neuroscience with medicine together. But I got into neuroscience and yeah, that was that was it. So had to the three years and then two years of my masters. So it's been yeah, a long journey. Full frontal, yeah. Seven years. Seven years, that's a long time. Yeah. And three years of tax paying before I could even apply to get into university. I could apply before, but then I would have qualified as an international student, which I couldn't afford. So that's a lot of commitment to a very specific industry, hey? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But you know, I enjoyed the ride. It was mm. kind of like there was. I think the, the thing for me was I was just enjoying the process of it rather than be like I have to be qualified to do X, Y, Z. It was just kind of like I'm doing it as I'm yeah. living my life because I had a good paying job as well. So it wasn't like I had to, you know, study so that I could get a job. Yeah, I already had a, a job. As yeah. a PT, which is quite a good job to have when you're studying, because I could pay, get paid like you know x amount of money for working like way less hours than someone that in a coffee shop would have had to do as a student. So I was in quite a lucky position in that respect. It's quite interesting because like being a PT and neuroscience. Now that we're discussing it, I'm seeing like a bridge just between, in terms of there being a theme, like you being still gravitating towards like the human body, yeah, as a, like an area of interest for you. So I think what the PT thing did for me is allowed me to gain the confidence in working with people, understanding what their needs are, and then like giving back, because it was a lot more than just the physical training. A lot of it, like a lot of PTs will joke and be like, oh, I feel like all, psycho um, all personal trainers need a psychology degree, because you are dealing with like people's behaviors. And I was sort of getting quite fascinated by 
what you tell someone and actually what comes out. Um, so when, when you say what you tell someone and what comes out, do you mean in terms of coaching them? Like just how your words impact their psychology and their performance? Yeah, so like most people will say they want to change, right? So they'll come and they'll like go on this journey where like, okay, I want to do X, Y, Z. So they'll come in and they're like super motivated in the beginning. But then by like m the end of the month, they probably either forgotten, lost motivation, and they revert back to something that we call automaticity. So automaticity is all the things that you do without you having to think about it. So your conscious brain is trying to save energy so that it doesn't have to think about things. So all the things that are ingrained, all the patterns, behaviors, and thought processes that are sub like subconsciously wired, if you will, from, you know, your childhood up until where you are now your brain's not gonna be like hey guys we actually need to change this it's going to try and save energy for more cognitively demanding tasks like problem solving planning your future texting your friends or whatever so everything else that is automatic will revert back to automatic when you stop paying attention to it so that's why people forget about their habits they'll be like on week one they're like okay i'm gonna eat really well i'm gonna go to the gym three times a week and then by like week two they're actually quite tired they forget about it and they just all of a sudden you're kind of like just back to square one where you're like oh shit i forgot that i even tried to embark on this journey of change now that's happened to me before yeah with like meditating for example all the time literally well. like i forgot and yeah. you feel bad and you yeah. kind of like, I don't know how I could forget something like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's your brain just trying to save energy for other things. So it's not going to remind you that meditation is a good thing if it isn't something you do all the time. So that's why like, you know, having a plan, checking in with a coach, maybe even checking in with yourself, having like a daily routine as well can help in helping you achieve those goals. And another thing is just understanding that that is what your brain does. So not beating yourself up about it because what happens is, so say this is like a classic when people are trying to stop smoking, they'll try stop smoking then they'll like kind of revert back to automaticity you'll see that most people that are trying to stop smoking tend to smoke at like lunchtime when it's like the clock strikes 12 and they're like oh it's my lunch break that's the time that i normally like to smoke because now your location cues kind of trigger you to remind you that that's what you want to do or they do it in the evening when they come home they're tired they don't want to think about it it's the same as like people who order in dinner and don't want to cook your brain's kind of like depleted of resources so it's going to revert back to what it knows best smoking ordering in eating junk food whatever it is because your brain doesn't want to keep thinking about these things while you were working as a pt you were studying neuroscience at the same time right yes okay i didn't know any of this when i was studying neuroscience because i've got to say i i don't think i knew anything any of the time i was always like whirlwind like what is going on overwhelmed. yeah just like one subject to another and you're just like i don't know what's going on right now but this is like the knowledge i gained in hindsight when i could kind of slow down oh really is it like a, hi a hindsight kind yeah. of okay yeah it's kind of like i had to acquire all the information first then i had this like major like quarter life crisis where i was like i've just spent like 60 grand on a decree that i don't actually really know what i'm gonna do with lol <laughs> and i still don't really know that much but actually you don't realize how much you have learned but because you can then start applying information to everyday life so then that's when it kind of really started turning for me is when i started doing my masters and seeing how i could apply it to my my everyday living and job mm -hmm. my jobs and how i work with people yeah <laughs> i feel like earlier i think you made a comment around how you never really with neuroscience for example like had this big plan for it kind of thing and i kind of feel like and there's actually a beauty in that because that implies in my mind curiosity and openness you know that's actually doing something and being so engrossed in the moment and learning along the way yeah that things unfold organically and i feel like that's true to even where you're at now like how beautifully everything's unfolded for you in like with nicole neuroscience with your page yeah and your book yeah my god yeah, yeah. I, I always said like I remember being in an interview for something else and they said I said the same thing like kind of like if I, if it hadn't been neuroscience I would have been engrossed in something else so that's kind of who I am as a person I enjoy the moment I apply the knowledge and it's like knowledge at the end of the day I'm gonna I'm gonna love it whatever it is so I would have thrown myself a hundred percent deep in if it was like zoology or I don't know psychology mm. medicine whatever I would have I would have loved it regardless because that's like actually a huge chapter in my book at the moment is growth mindset versus fixed mindset and it's some of the things that we've spoken about like this week how people like to attach themselves to a particular outcome which then identifies themselves as 
like they, they attach whatever the outcome is to their identity so a classic example is like people who have been told they're super intelligent their entire lives they then go through life trying to not prove that wrong because if anything kind of intercepts that belief it personally attacks them as a person whereas people with a growth mindset know that it doesn't matter if they fail because there's a learning opportunity in it so I'm not attached to neuroscience because that's what I've, and that's kind of what happened to me with medicine. My whole life, I thought I was going to be a doctor and then that didn't happen. And it was like, oh my God, I went through like all the stages of grief, but realized later that actually it isn't about medicine. It's just about like learning as a whole. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think we are definitely going to chat more about your book specifically and the research that you've done leading up to that. And um, maybe just following through with what you've just commented on, what is something that people could do to identify if they are attaching themselves to like to something and how that might be constraining them? Because I'm not sure that everyone is always aware of it and if it is always easy to to highlight to yourself, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we all have these narratives, these stories that we tell ourselves either consciously or subconsciously, but it's kind of like something that you formulated in your mind. So a classic one again is like with the intelligence. So it's just checking these narratives, the labels that we've attached to ourselves and then seeing how they affect us in our everyday life. So are you, you know, feeling bad about yourself? Do you have low self-worth because you didn't get the job you really wanted? Is that because the job you really wanted was attached to your identity? So like, I'm super smart, so I should work in, I don't know, whatever. Now you didn't get the job. Now you believe that there's something wrong with you. So it's just about checking the labels, checking the narratives, checking how they affect you on a daily basis and just seeing how the narratives that you repeat, whether they're working against you or for you. Um, most people that, like, like when I say it, they kind of have like an aha moment where they're like, oh, okay, actually I really thought about one or two things that I can see impact my life. So, I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind now is that it it could be a matter of looking at where you're feeling discomfort. So maybe your emotions could be a kind of map or a guiding light to where there might be a narrative or some kind of negative self-talk or something that you need to investigate. Yeah. Is that accurate to say, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Say that. And I would also say that like those narratives tend to creep up mostly at night when people go to bed so it's that internal dialogue that so we have two not we got two more than two networks in the brain but we have two major networks and one is a central executive network and the other one is a default mode network now the default mode network is exactly what i've just said it's like your default mode of thinking so that network those two networks can't be active at the same time so if you're engaged in like external thought all day so you're at work you're chatting to colleagues you're working really hard then you come home you've got kids to talk to you got your husband to deal with or whatever and then only then in the evening do you have time to like kind of activate that default mode network that's when people tend to deal with a lot of ruminating thoughts because a they're tired and b now they kind of had the time to sip with their own thoughts so those thoughts will be amplified and actually that could be like the perfect example for someone to start analyzing whether these thoughts are you know kind of like self-sabotaging negative ruminating sort of intrusive thoughts am i correct in saying that your default mode network comes into formation or is constructed when you're younger based on your life experience yeah is that like that kind of what it is yeah pr pretty much yeah and you can change that mm. for sure so it's like you know we go through the world and we acquire knowledge on how we should operate through it so that could either be shaped by the things that you experience or like the things that your parents have told you so you know a lot of people have confidence issues because they either their mothers had confidence issues and they could see it in them even though you know it's like kind of the knowledge that we we gain through observing how they operate through the world or maybe like the parents were kind of highly critical of them so now they've like developed this internal dialogue that is highly critical of themselves so you either gather it from your peers or from the experiences that you've had so but it can be changed, which is the great thing about it. So that's what rewire is about, is like how to rewire these narratives that we say to ourselves. Do you feel like that's a fairly new concept? That's because I know based on, I mean, you, you studied this, this is what you did your research on, am I correct? Yeah. When you studied neuroscience around neuroplasticity. Yes. And can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Like about 
what you did in your studies about the experimental research that you underwent and your findings so that we can help understand that and then maybe also if you could comment on like if it is something that's pretty revolutionary or if we've kind of had an inkling about this from before and are now validating or proving that like yeah i mean so some of some of the older research on this is kind of like hypnosis which is quite a taboo subject because people believe that hypnosis is kind of like this thing that you do and then you go into like a trance and you have no control over yeah, your it's body like yeah no. hocus pocus yeah and it's actually grounded in really interesting clinical data and i've actually just did a talk with dr david spiegel who's the um, chair of psychiatry at stanford med who's got 40 years of experience in researching hypnosis and basically we that's kind of like tapping into that subconscious rewiring and reprogramming of the brain so it's not i wouldn't say it's fairly new but it's definitely in the, like so in the 90s we kind of discovered bdnf which is a neurotrophic factor it's like a protein that is released when we exercise or when we learn new things and that was kind of like boom wow okay actually we can rewire our brains because that helps create new synapses that it helps the brain maintain it, its integrity for up until I, I think like the 50s or 60s i read a book on this the word synaptic or plasticity plastic meaning that it can change which fun fact is why we call it plastic surgery not because plastic like a barbie ah. it's called plastic because it means malleable we can change that's very interesting very interesting yeah there was an interesting book that talks about how we started to realize that the brain is plastic and that was more through things like strokes brain injuries and we saw that the brain would take over so like earlier bits of research would kind of show that like for example we this is like the research is quite harsh actually like i don't know if we should even talk about this but they basically took kittens and then they put like sort of eye patches on them uh on, on one eye sorry and let them develop and then they realized that after a critical period of development if the kitten had never sort of developed eyesight it never would because the brain wants to maximize areas of the brain so because that part of the visual cortex was never needed other cortical brain maps kind of took kind of like real estate area if you will mm. does that make sense so other things would be amplified but then that would kind of be gone forever so that's how the brain can create new con connections and kind of wire itself differently to what we always believed that was like fixed mm. Does that make any sense? That makes a lot of sense. So we, there are some things that are deeply ingrained in our physiology that we can't rewire. Like, you know, we wouldn't want to, like our sight, that which obviously can degrade, but we can't just change that. Um, you know, the, our breathing rate and all those basic functions of, you know, the body. Mm. But things like our thoughts and the, like our beliefs and even like our habits and even the way that we, um, like our motor activities, you can learn to dance, you can learn to play guitar. Those are all things that we can change through repetition and through attention, which I spoke about already, because attention is like kind of the biggest things that people forget about is that it needs to be like a consistent and daily thing because over after a period of time, your brain might just revert back to automatic and like kind of forget about this thing that you're trying to change. Yeah. So on can you just also let us know a little bit about the yeah my research your research yeah you studied mice yeah. right so you did research on mice yeah so i basically like reconstructed the somatosensory cortex of mice which was pretty cool in like 3d remodeling so we were basically looking at how um excitatory inhibitory synapses communicate with one, one another so when for every excitatory sort of information or bit of information that your brain sends it needs to have an inhibitory um, signal that stops that otherwise you would go into overdrive and essentially that's what people with epilepsy have issues with is the inhibitory transmission so the brain has like seizures you know epileptic seizures because there's overstimulation of brain activity so that's what I was looking at I was looking at how sort of synapses and dendrites communicate in the brain with one another and how those two very delicately balanced systems work in conjunction with one another so that was pretty cool yeah that's pretty cool that's pretty sick and then through through your research in that arena how, like how did you come to the neuroplasticity or like relating that to the human brain yeah i guess i guess because you know when you're doing research you're having to learn and read so many papers that you kind of just start 
getting really sort of fascinated by what's going on and you start to learn about like things like BDNF and all these sort of neurotrophic factors and you start to learn things on a molecular level as to what's actually happening to synapses when they communicate with one another so because I was looking at this from you know quite a nanometer scale on mm. at the level of the synapse like what are these sort of things doing when they're communicating with one another and one of the interesting things is that when we repeat a particular thought this is like down to neuro let's like simplify it as if one neuron and another neuron are c communicating and that's all that is not what happens in the brain but let's just say that only one and another one communicate if you say repeat a particular thought or repeat a particular pattern those two neurons will essentially get better at communicating with one another so they become married essentially because they the sort of sending neuron the one that sends the message gets better at sending it and then the receiving one gets better at receiving it so they kind of like end up being ingrained if you think about it like like an open field this is how i love to explain this and you've got one path that's like paved it's like the thing that you've always been doing regardless of whether it's right or wrong it's the one that's like the easiest route to take and then you've got this new path that you're trying to create but there's no there's like a bush you have to like break through it you have to like maybe even carve out a path and you have to pave it you have to lay down all the different bricks to make this path you know pretty and then put lights up at the end it's going to be quite hard work so even if like smoking is really difficult and something you don't want to do anymore and it makes you feel awful it's like if that's what you've been doing all the like you know for 20 years the brain's going to be like ah yeah. oh, that's the route that we really enjoy taking because changing that habit is actually quite hard energy. yeah question on that uh metaphor that you just gave so then if i was to carve out a new path yeah. and decide i want to change behavior or change a habit what happens to the path that existed before? Does that eventually get overgrown or does it still exist? What are the chances of me regressing? Yeah, so we actually have something in neuroscience called long-term potentiation, which is the creation of new connections. So that's the strengthening of connections. And then we also have long-term depression, which has nothing to do with major depression as a disorder, but it's the sort of undoing of their synapses. They, they will weaken and eventually weaken over time. That's like a classic kind of, do you remember when you could speak French when you were a child and now you can't anymore? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how long does it take in order for someone to build a new path? Yeah, in their, in their brain. And does it vary from person to person? Yeah. So, okay. So, I don't think you're going to like the answer, but <laughs> <laughs> the research is quite hard if you think about it to okay. really track this, right? Think yes. about this from an, like an experimental setting. How do, how do you even begin to look at something like that? But what we've discovered through habit formation is that it can take anywhere between 18 to 254 days to create a new habit which you can look at it as like okay that's demoralizing or you could see it as like actually it's a new like path that you're taking it's a bit like diets right we know that diets are like old school now and now we're just like it's about eating right and doing better things for the long run rather yes. than feel like I'm going on a crash diet I'm gonna lose 10 kilos and then yes. go back to my old ways so it's kind of like that so see it as like a journey into change I thought like, you were gonna say years I thought you were gonna be like 18 to 250 yeah. I was like what <laughs> 254. I don't like the answer yes. yeah. <laughs> really don't like that answer no so uh, you know you could you could you could be a completely ish new person within a year okay yeah well, that seems reasonable yeah I think that's reasonable I it just takes like a bit of consistency exactly um, anything worthwhile is, you know, appeal. You have to put in some effort. For exactly. It. So on the note of your book, Rewire, and I suppose there is something that's interesting when it comes to learning, I think, and gathering new information. At least this is how I learn. Yeah. I feel as though you, you kind of, by way of trying to make sense of what, of the knowledge you're acquiring, you relate it to yourself. Mm -hmm. or your own personal experience, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Especially with something like neuroscience, you have it. It's not like you're studying something that you don't, like zoology, like you have a brain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is relative to you yeah. as yeah. well. <laughs> it's something I always joke about. I always used to be like, I'm trying to understand a brain with a brain that I don't understand. Yeah. Like this is, oh, no, that's very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's confusing. I have a headache yeah. already. Just thinking about that. <laughs> so on that note, how how would you say your personal experience ties into your neuroscientific journey yeah huge so rewire is like definitely based of kind of like me and my life and how the major changes that i went through so you know i feel like 
it sounds cheesy and cliche but i do feel like i'm a completely different person like when i think about 21 22 23 even 20 up to 25 year old nick maybe even 26 before i started studying neuroscience like i had so many patterns that i was repeating that were not serving me in any way of anything they were like really ruining my life can you give us an example of one if you don't mind sharing yeah specificity well i was going out with a cocaine addict for three years and just staying stuck in this like perpetual kind of like traumatic toxic relationship Mm. but then also like not having the heart to leave so i saw this post by mel robbins i don't know if you follow her but she was saying that she changed her view on things when she realized that she was she changed her thought process from why they're doing this to me to why am i allowing this to happen damn yeah so when when he actually contacted me to do his amendments he asked me if there was anything that I wanted to sort of let get off my chest. And I was like, to be fair, no, because actually I allowed this, you know, like what was wrong with me? Well, I know what was wrong with me to allow this to go on for so long. Like one year, you're like, okay, two years, three years. And then in the end, he dumped me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Mortifying. Oh my God. (laughs) Pay <laughs> back, babe. Gotta go to rehab. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna call you back. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So big, <laughs> big lesson to learn. <laughs> Fucking pouring all my secrets out on a podcast, yeah. But yeah, basically, I was like, okay, I need to do some serious like thinking about my life because I just got dumped by somebody who I should have dumped yeah, years ago. Exactly. Like, what the hell? That's crazy. And yeah you know self-worth patterns that i was repeating from like my family seeing how they operated through the world seeing that as like you know i can help i can change and just like all in the wild sort of really sabotaging who i was as a person but mm-hmm. it was like a, a true reflection of how little i guess self-worth i had in a way so i went to therapy and the woman was basically explaining these things to me and she was like oh it sounds like you're repeating some very familiar patterns and you're in a codependency sort of triangle so then I got kind of like fascinated by like trauma bonds and how deeply attached we can become to people when you've gone through something really traumatic with them because basically what happens is the highs take you up really high and then they drop you really low so when you're really low you're like seeking that validation you want kind of like the reinforcement so that intermittent reinforcement of them going i'm sorry i'll never do it again i will change gives you hope so then you're like okay actually and then you're like back up on that roller coaster and then it happens again but then the the trauma is so like you know hectic for lack of a better term that it like sends you way down but then it's quite hard to like try and advocate for yourself and make these changes this is why people stay stuck in abusive relationships for years and people from the outside really struggle to understand why that happens but when you're in a low it's really hard to like make these sort of conscious decisions for yourself and then when you're on a high you want to kind of believe that it will stay like this forever Mm. but that the way that we reinforce patterns is through reward and because the reward of the relationship or the person apologizing to you is intermittent and it's not like if we know that something's going to happen we're not going to want it if we don't know it's going to happen we're like oh okay so that's why people like text their exes that's why people want to like just test the waters to see if they've still got something yeah. going on there, right? Yeah. So that intimate reinforcement of them being like, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again, is, you know, quite... Like addictive. Yeah, mm. essentially, you're addicted to this like traumatic experience and you're trauma bonded, which is exactly what, you know, what, yeah. it, what, it, what it is. <laughs> My mind was completely blown when I, I read like a, a book also by the same author of the one that inspired you to pursue neuroscience bruce dr. perry yeah. yeah dr d bruce perry bruce d perry he also goes in to explain how those patterns and those behaviors release chemicals mm. and that aside from it being maybe an ingrained and subconscious behavioral pattern that maybe you could say i'm not really aware of it or i'm you know, repeating cycles because it's familiar to me that your body's actually also releasing chemicals. So you're like getting high off of your behavior as well. Like, yeah. like 
actually, you know? Yeah, because the brain likes comfort. So if you if you grew up in an abusive household and all you know is that kind of turbulence, even if you know that it's like inherently and morally wrong, the brain knows that that is familiar. So individuals who, let's for example, say become abusive towards their partners, they might consciously know that this is wrong, but like on a fundamental level, the brain is like, this is what we know is a pattern. And this is what makes us feel good because this is what home feels like. So it's the brain doesn't know the difference between right and wrong it only knows what's been repeated and when you say this is what feels good like what do you what do you think that means to the brain as in this is just what's easiest for me because i'm the one in charge of where we put our energy yeah and there's you know chemicals like oxytocin which Mm. actually help strengthen pathways so a classic one is mothers who become deeply bonded to their children before the father is and normally what happens is like the fathers are like oh this is great but then once the child is born that's when oxytocin is like hugely released in their brain and they go through major changes after the baby is born so back to oxytocin oxytocin helps rewire the brain and actually strengthens any pathway that's there so when you're repeating these patterns of comfort if you will your brain will be releasing things like oxytocin endorphins and actually the pain will mean that your brain is then also releasing endorphins to try and numb that pain so you're literally getting high off your own supply of morphine in a way yeah (laughs) yeah it's so wild it's very wild and that's one of the things that i like to talk about because people that break patterns then don't know how to feel comfortable in the quiet so i have a friend who's like always like going out with like these really like crazy boyfriends and like always just repeating the same things but then when she finally breaks out of it she just can't she doesn't feel comfortable doesn't feel satisfied where she is mm. and it's like she almost needs to like reteach herself that this is now peace is good you know and that's what she's working on at the moment I feel like I'm similar to that in some regards. I think we probably all are in in, in some respect because, you know, the roller coaster's fun. <laughs> the roller coaster's fun. Like, I've had a similar thought process around I've, I've wanted to shave my head. Like, yeah. I, I've kind of always wanted to. Yeah. But it suddenly the mood has struck me now that everything in my life is kind of starting to make sense. And I'm like a little bit more comfortable than I usually would be. And I'm yeah. like... This is the perfect time. Must shave my head. Like, you know, need to upset the apple cart. It's so funny you say that because I was thinking like, the other day, I was like, firstly, I think I could rock it. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> and then secondly, oh, I'm like, why wouldn't I? Like, when am I ever going to do it? Well, but what, now. That's what I was saying. <laughs> so this is a healthy way of releasing those like crazy chemicals, yes. you know, for lack of a better term. So you can still do it. You can still, you know, enjoy the ride and enjoy being crazy crazy if you will but not completely derailing your life where you're like dating a coke addict for three years and then get dumped by them anyway yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i guess those are two very different things yeah (laughs) so what other ways do we or can we release oxytocin like what are other habits or actions that we know are related to those things so i mean like there's so many neurochemicals that get released so mm. are you are you asking about rewiring essentially yeah the, the chemicals that we are, our brain releases when we when we step into those patterns yeah. that are rewarding maybe yeah. it's like a rewarding chemist- yeah it, yeah it's like a cocktail of, of yes. neurotransmitters but one of the interesting about oxytocin that i will say though is you know those deep moments you have with your friend not just like oh here's a hug because people will be like oh hugging releases oxytocin i'm like not really what really releases oxytocin is is like deep conversations so connecting with people is what's going to help you it's a kind of like the recipe for success because a you're releasing oxytocin so now you're like you know secondly you're learning from people and three you're like satisfying those need of comfort by through social connection Mm -hmm. which is one of the most like perfect ways to essentially thrive through through life Mm -hmm. is having social connections that can satisfy you so yeah, as cheesy as it sounds, like have a drink with your friend and sit on the porch. Oh my god! And <laughs> yeah, recommended by Nicole. Rec- <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting, and I'm not not to take this this podcast down a festival journey, but I think that's also why festivals. Because I've just come from Boom. For anyone listening, it's kind of why I guess it's top of mind for me at least. Yeah. But um, I think that's why, despite how you might abuse your body in terms of just dancing it out and like you know intake of substances and exhaustion you feel so rewarded afterwards is because of those deep connections yeah you know yeah yeah and you're all like 
you're bro- you've broken down barriers with people. Exactly. You know? So you're all on like a level playing field. You're all vulnerable, which is something we don't do enough in the world. Like I try my best to just be as vulnerable as possible on social media so people can see it, like the struggles that I go through because I know all this knowledge doesn't mean I'm perfect and I execute it all the time. Mm. Like, you know, so yeah, it's one of the things that I think we all need to sort of embrace a little bit more. And I think it's one of the the very special things about things like festivals. We're all kind of like bringing ourselves down to the same level playing field and just willing to understand each other. Mm. Because there is, if you, like, you know, you could think of a group of people as being like really annoying and like, I don't know, baby baby boomers are always like doing X, Y, Z, telling us off with this, this and that. Gen Z are like always on their phones, whatever. But if you actually have like a one-to-one conversation with anyone from those groups, you actually realize that they're quite interesting people. Like most people are quite interesting. And even yeah. if they're not, there's something that you can like assimilate to or you can see a bit of yourself as. So I think that's what I love about festivals is that like element of just everything kind of softens down and like your heart's kind of like for lack of a better term, open. Yeah, there's like less separation. As you said, everyone's yeah. like combination of people yeah. all going through the exact same experience, not yeah. just passes by. Yeah. The separate agendas, you know? And, you know, without getting too woo-woo, because mm. I, I do really believe in like the things that we can't explain. Um, there's a really famous quote by Carl Sagan that says like somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. So just because we don't know, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I do feel like there's something about like the frequencies and like, the almost like a parallel universe that exists at the same time you know what i mean (laughs) no girl i know exactly what you mean it is it's like you step into a a parallel universe together yeah yes with the people sharing the space yeah yes and the music and yeah yeah and everyone's just like vibing at the same time it's like you're all just like (laughs) very scientific (laughs) very scientific (laughs) 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 i'm gonna try and put that in my research papers but like everyone's like we 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 I think does it. hand motion. Does hand motion, exactly. <laughs> graph. <laughs> peak graph, peak graph. Yeah. Oh, Lord, I love that. Um, okay. So I think what I would like to do for anyone listening is give them some like practical things or just obviously we're laying them with knowledge, but I want to potentially give them something that they could, I don't know, walk away with as a tool or yeah. something along those lines that they can apply to their lives. Could we share with anyone some tools or yeah advice or insights that you have to share around how they could i guess generally improve their everyday life even if even if it's through like habit formation or whatever it is like what can we do yeah to just lead better lives and to like self-actualize so okay can i give two give two maybe three Okay. They're quite simple. Okay. So tool number one that I like to tell everyone is, so if anyone listens to Dr. Andrew Huberman, they'll know that this is like peak conversation right now, but it really does work, is the physiological sigh. So that is a... Okay. So when you're stressed, when you want to respond to something, but you're like, oh, I actually just want to like tell them to go bugger off. The physiological sign is the quickest way to just bring your body back down to like a calm mind state. So my research now is decision making. So how we create a sort of environment for ourselves to make good decisions in our daily lives. And by doing the physiological sign, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're actually telling yourself that you need to regulate. So you're becoming like quite self-aware. Two, you're creating a bit of distance from the trigger and the response. Because what people tend to do is they get triggered, they respond straight away. Now those two things get married. Remember I said to you that if one communicating neuron gets good at sending a message and the other one's like really closely timed with the, you know, with the one that sent the message, mm. they're going to bond. So a classic example for me is like I used to freaking hate people parking, like not against the line. So I get like really triggered by people's parking. <laughs> In my defense, I lived in an area where there was two uni- sorry, two hospitals and a university, so there was never any like parking for the residents. So I'd like sometimes drive around for like twenty minutes. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so Don't get us started. <laughs> yeah. I used to have like like little notes that I would leave people like, please park nicely or fuck you, I'm in a bad mood, so yeah. fucking park nicely. <laughs> anyway. So that's not that dramatic. Like there's obviously way more dramatic trigger responses that yes. I've had in my life. But um, so you're distancing yourself from that trigger and the response because you want to put a space in there so that A, that neurons don't automatically communicate with one another. So you don't end up like seeing something and like shouting at your partner. Um, and then B, like kind of breaking that so you can make that decision because the decision is in that space where 
you've been triggered, but now you've got a decision on how you're gonna respond. So that helps you in all areas of your life because one, you can become better at dealing with conflict. You can become better at not getting emotional during uh, you know, arguments, uh, specifically with like, maybe colleagues and stuff like that. Because you know, getting emotional, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't really want to like, blow up at your boss or you know, people around you. I find it so interesting because I almost feel as though we have this expectation in society of immediate response. Yeah. I don't know if you feel like that. It's kind of like if I've said something to you, I almost expect that you're going to deliver me with some information in return yeah and i think yeah in my mind I'm, I'm imagining that it might potentially be slightly awkward if you are in the middle of an intense moment with a colleague and you just go pause yeah i mean obviously yeah. maybe not that deliberately yeah. yes yeah. but yeah, yeah. you pause yeah. Yeah, but it's good because it it can reroute and redirect things. I yeah. guess as well. Well, that's actually one of the things that I'm trying to get better at. So I'll, I like to fill the gap. So I'll I'll say something and I'll be like, and then then blah 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 blah. Yes. Until someone like intervenes. Whereas like now I'm working on just really being like, okay, that one second is not as long as you think. It's not. <laughs> but it feels like years in my head. So you know, like I'm all doing the calculations in my head. Um, so that's one thing that I'm really trying to get good at. It's just being like, okay, you've said something or I've said something. You've not responded straight away because you're probably thinking I'm not going to go and fill that with like a, um, so anyway, uh, does it make sense? You know, and just trying to be like, okay. So yeah. That's interesting. I think I'll try to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. The second tool that I would say is one of the biggest things that people like to do is like beat themselves up about situations. So that's, the brain's attempt at trying to gain control over it but if that worked we probably wouldn't have bad habits in the first place because it would have worked the first time you beat yourself up about it so beating yourself about it is not going to work so the better thing to do is to like analyze and understand what the triggers are so okay i smoked at 12 o'clock when i said i wasn't going to but actually that's what i've been doing for the last 10 years when the clock strikes 12 i'm like cigarettes so finding something else that you can do which again then ties in with that whole like creating that space right you just i think i think we just all live a bit too quickly at the moment so just taking a breather to analyze why are you doing that you know what can you do instead i think those are two really valuable tools and the third one i would say is like sleep which something that i do something i struggle with but if you're tired you're not going to have as many energy resources to allocate for decision making. You're going to start making like some seriously questionable decisions by the end of the day, like going to bed late because you want to watch another episode of Netflix or, you know, none of those things are bad, you know, but it's like if you're trying to improve, then that's when the sabotage comes in because it feels better to not act on what you want to change than to actually make a change. So do you feel that's an interesting way that you phrased sabotage? Because in my mind, I've always thought that it was an intentional thing. But am I correct in understanding that the way you phrased it now or positioned it is that it's not necessarily I'm sabotaging myself because I don't want to change or because I think I'm a piece of shit, that it might be I'm sabotaging myself without really realizing it because I'm doing what feels best in this moment rather than having the strength to do what's I don't really feel like doing, but what's better for me. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think that, I mean, I do think that some people self-sabotage. For Yes, we all, I think we do that as well. Yeah. Yes. But let's give ourselves a little bit of credit. I feel like it's mostly because we're either not thinking about it, we're tired or yeah, we just want to feel good right now. So like, it's hard to see the reward there. There's actually a word for it and I can't remember what it is, but like, oh, I can't remember, but when when the reward is there and you know that if you just don't do this right now yes. you can benefit down there your brain's like especially if it's tired you're like nah i'm the worst at that i think we all are though yeah and i think normalizing it is really important because i'm the same i know all this information i still do it i'm still like one more episode of black mirror even though it's gonna like traumatize me and then i'm gonna like, have nightmares <laughs> <laughs> and i still need to get up at six o'clock so yeah. but hey that's what i want to yeah. do right now so me want black mirror now <laughs> yeah literally yeah, yeah. so yeah i'm lucky that i don't smoke so i don't like have that urge to want to do that but yeah i know i've also yeah that, that's one of my guilty guilty pleasures yeah. um and then just another thing that i wanted to try and understand that you said earlier was on your brain trying to take control of the situation as in that so when you beat yourself up that's your brain's way of trying to take control Mm -hmm. when you say that do you mean as in because 
because the deed is done, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to change it. Yeah. We, like, how are we trying? How how is speaking like shit to yourself taking control of the situation? Like, I'm trying to understand how our brain gets there. Well, you're trying to gain hindsight of the situation, and like, it gives you a sense of control. Okay. It might not be control, but it's like an attempt at gaining control okay so you're like okay well i can beat myself about it now because this is what i can change yes in the immediate like moment okay but again we need to try and just remember that like we need to think about our future selves so being like as cheesy as sound compassionate with yourself and be like okay actually i did that because i am tired b i have been doing this for 20 years and c like that's just the brain the way that the brain kind of operates not to like pie it off as if it's nothing and be like oh my silly brain there it goes again doing what it wants to do (laughs) because that's another slippery slope but just you know having more introspect into why you did it like understanding what the triggers were why you did it how can you change it what can you do next time can you do the physiological side take a space before you decide to make the shitty decision and choose something better for yourself and like finding an alternative do you feel like that those three tools apply to work relationships everything across the board almost every like talk i give i almost always end up with like either the same tools or very similar tools Mm -hmm. where i'm like they all work together to make sure that you can does the way that i explain it is if your brain health is your hardware and your mental health is your software if the if the hardware is not working because it's tired or you've drunk or whatever like you can't expect to make software changes on hardware that's not working so making sure that you've got the hardware like working optimally so that you can then be like okay these are the kind of changes we're going to make and we're not super tired today because it's hard to make changes when you're like super stressed super tired okay so speaking on the notes of hardware you like you you walked into this one (laughs) (laughs) and as i mentioned earlier fresh off of boom festival I think we both enjoy festivals. I'm sure a lot of the people that listen to my podcast also enjoy festivals. Yeah, I was at a festival the week before you'd were. There, there yeah. you go. <laughs> so I was going through what you're going through, but like <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Different timelines. Yeah. So what would you say then would be a good strategy for managing recovery mentally, hardware and software? Maybe let's stick with hardware because I feel mm. like software – you know, mm. although if you feel like it's necessary to comment on that, do post festival, like mm. post that kind of behavior. How, what, what are like the best things we can do to, to soften the blow or to soften the descent? Yeah, definitely like hydration. So your neurons communicate in the presence of water and they do that through sodium and potassium changing their voltage basically. So the electrical signals is like primed for an action potential which is like how the brain communicates so that sounds really technical but in layman's terms making sure that you're hydrating because your brain communicates in the presence of water and then ideally maybe even with some electrolytes so replenishing magnesium big one especially for people who've done like loads of ketamine they ketamine works on like nmda receptors which requires magnesium to leave the receptor so that communication can come in sounds very technical but basically magnesium is like the important part there so replenishing magnesium can really help people with who've you know done ketamine for example all weekend mm. then you know things like maybe uh, i'm not like a huge like going to take all these supplements because i think like with ty- like l-tyrosine and dopamine especially if you've you know not just cocaine because like all drugs are going to deplete your dopamine systems i would try and like limit phone usage that week like social media things that are going to be like cheap thrills because your brain's going to be seeking that it's going to be like how can we raise our dopamine levels and make ourselves feel better junk food instagram texting your ex classic one after a night out how many people text their ex on a sunday because they want to feel better about themselves <laughs> that's dopamine trying to be like hey guys we don't feel great right now yeah. so you know we're personifying neurotransmitters right now but <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah just like appreciating that that kind of thrill-seeking behavior is going to like might be you know be prominent in the upcoming weeks after and then also like you know you're gonna like i, I speak about this in my book you're going to have like not only a come down from the festival but an emotional come down as well like you can have come downs without having taken any drugs so appreciating that you're going to feel low and that isn't a constant you know it will change again so because i feel like it can get pretty dark in those like depths of despair how so. do you manage that though like even with the 
with the with the craving to be on Instagram and to have those dopamine hits and to eat junk food, it, I honestly think it must take like all the strength, like the strength of ten thousand men, to not cave and have the burger and to rather have something healthier, or to just I mean, what 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 would you suggest someone do rather just lie down and relax or sleep? Or I think just take take it easy. Basically, it's okay. like the the the. Yeah, the take-home message. You can supplement with things like L-tyrosine to up your dopamine. Definitely things like 5-HTP uh, for serotonin, which again, it's not just like if you've done this, do that. If you've done this, do that. Yes. Because they all work together. Like neurotransmitters don't work in like single singularity or you you know they work in unison. So um, things like 5-HTP. And then another classic one, definitely magnesium, as I said, is vitam- vitamin C, because that's a huge precursor for dopamine and norepinephrine production. So making sure that you're just like, you know, up in the intake on that. So alpha GPC, things like that can help also um, acetylcholine production. So magnesium, L-tyrosine, 5-HTP, alpha GPC, and then maybe some like, vit- definitely vitamin C, maybe even some like omega-3 to like help the inflammation come down. Mm. Omega-3 has been shown to lower cortisol and inflammatory cytokines in the body, which are present after such a stressful event for the body anyway. Yes. So yeah, and then just trying to take it easy. And hydrate. Hydrate, for drink. sure. And yeah, drink electrolytes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think we, we're gonna wrap it up shortly. Um, I do want to touch on your book. Obviously, we've, we've hinted to it throughout this podcast. You're currently writing it. Me. I feel like Killian Murphy <laughs> writing the book, like a cigarette in my mouth. Like, oh, oh. I'm so, I'm so pumped. First of all, like, total, you're a total badass, I Thank think. You. It must be said. <laughs> the book's being written, everyone. It the is. book is underway. It's underway. <laughs> you witnessed me doing it today. Yes. Yeah. Tap, tap. And it's coming out next year. 20, sorry, 9th of May in the UK and 21st of May in the US. Okay. And South Africa will be part of the UK because it's the Commonwealth Alrighty. territory. So will you give people a little bit of an insight into what they can expect from the book? Yeah. And tell us where we can, we can pre-order it as well. You can in the UK. Okay. So I don't know because South Africa is part of the Commonwealth. So potentially I'm not sure. I need okay. to ask my agent. Basically, Rewire is a step-by-step process on how to like rewire your brain essentially but the great thing about it is that we have taken into consideration that people's attention span is probably limited and you don't want to read like a heavy book that's like fuck okay like we're going to work now so you can tap into each topic in and out if you wanted to the ideal thing would be to read it from top to bottom but you can come back to it so each chapter has like a little sort of breakdown of like the key points that I've just spoken about that you can take home with you if you didn't want to even read the whole thing and it has like little activities you can do in between as well so it talks about like why we think negatively like what's the power of our thoughts all grounded in neuroscience so rewire helps you change your mindset habits etc all grounded in like the principles of neuroscience if you will and it's like a workbook I guess so it's got like activities that you can do. So it's a bit more interactive and a bit more fun. It's not super sciencey. Well, it, it is, but they've made me take out a lot of the science. So um, it's so quite it's like, like you, you might have a very simple sentence, but it's yeah. based in a lot of science. Yes. But it's easy to digest. Absolutely. Because yes. my editors were like, that. we just, no. Yeah. Uh, no. We want to make this accessible to people. So yes. it's pretty cool because like it's stuff that I've kind of learned as I've gone along and I've tried to put into like a manual, if you will, on how we can go through that shift where you're not dating a cocaine addict anymore and actually choosing someone that's like probably prosperous for your life <laughs> instead of repeating the same patterns <laughs> so that I don't get dumped again. Okay. <laughs> the workbook. You needed this workbook. I needed this for myself. Writing I'm writing it to my past self. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's pretty you. exciting. It's very exciting. It's so exciting. It's been published by Penguin, which is huge. Huge. HarperCollins US, huge. And it's already got 12 translations, including like um, Hebrew, which is wild, mm. Chinese, Russian, Taiwanese, how random, <laughs> Croatian. So, yeah, it's super exciting. It's very, 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 yeah. very exciting. Yeah. I can't wait until I can walk into an exclusive box, like in South Africa. Mm. Me. I know. <laughs> and see your little book there. Oh, so exciting. I'm yeah. so excited. You actually need to help me with looking at the covers. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone who's listening to this has any interesting cover art ideas, <laughs> yeah, like DM us. Yeah, DM actually. us. DM yeah. me. Don't harass Nicole. She's writing a book. DM me <laughs> and I will, I will forward on your ideas. Definitely DM Dan because yeah. I've been a bit rubbish with my DMs. So anyone that's listening and has DM'd me, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but that's why I'm doing the best I can. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for coming, my babe. I'm just going to ask you one last thing, and that's like, this a little bit of, I guess, fluffy stuff to close Mm. off on. And that's, if you could tell us all, what is the thing that you're most grateful for? Hmm, me. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think I'm grateful that I'm able to, like, learn so much. Because I feel like knowledge is kind of like what keeps people out of their own heads and out into like expansion you know and there's like a quote that i can't remember who said it but they were like the unfed mind devours itself and i feel like you know when like with knowledge we can just kind of like expand our brains and who we are and think about the world like you know like when else did you think about like what the stars are doing instead of being so like in your own head about your own problems and all that like we need to kind of Life is short. I know it sounds really cheesy and fluffy, but like, you know, I don't want to look back on my life and be like, oh my God, I was so stressed all the time. For what? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. It's a bit fluffy. No, it's not a bit fluffy. You know what? I completely agree with you. I'm actually reading, I didn't bring it with me because I packed lightly, but I'm reading a book called The Universe. Yeah, right. And um, based on exactly what you've just said now, because I'm like, this life is so fascinating. Yeah. And there's so much that it's actually mind bending. Yeah. And extraordinary yeah and exciting yeah and you can get so easily caught up in your own tiny little world i know and drive yourself literally mentally insane literally i and i had this realization i was watching a documentary on did you ever read about voyager one and two no oh this is gonna blow your mind so in 1970 okay i'm gonna butcher this because i can't remember the facts and i'm not an astrologist <laughs> so <laughs> i'm not an astrophysicist sorry that's no, okay but basically they had to they wanted to send a, a like spaceship into out of our solar system but there's no way we have enough fuel for that so they had to basically t- align certain planets um for anyone that's like probably a physicist they're gonna be like she's so she's selling us so wrong <laughs> but let's just say it was like i don't know saturn mars jupiter so that what would happen is the Voyager 1, which is one of the spaceships they launched to, would like ricochet off the planets oh, wow. and it gain enough sort of momentum to um, leave our Milky Way or our solar system. Yes. It's pretty wild. That is wild. So that I think would only happen like once every like 70 years or something like that. So like they had to time it perfectly. Otherwise, the moment would be gone. They'd have to like tell the next scientist. Yeah, right. <laughs> Generations would be like, please don't forget. Yes. <laughs> So, and in that spaceship, they put a golden record, which had all of the, um, like, music. Like, they had Chuck Berry. It had, like, tribal music from Africa. And I think it had, like, music from China. So that if anyone ever found it, they would be able to decipher, like, what our world is about. So, like, in case we found aliens. So, and I think, if I don't, if I haven't butchered this already by now, they launched it in, like, 1970-something. And it, like, left our solar system in 2012 so that's 42 years that it traveled from the day that they launched it which like completely blew my mind mm. and i'm like it's only just left yeah. our solar system now are they still are they able to track it do you know i don't think so okay i need to look into it i've heard about this record though yeah i did know that they put something like that out into space and i had this mind-blowing moment where i watched the documentary and i was like oh my god why the hell am i worrying about like my body yeah and what i look like not that there's i I don't think there's anything wrong with worrying what you look like because i think it's a really important aspect of like everyday life and you want to look nice but that kind of like ruminating like bashing yourself like you're shit you're fat you're ugly Mm. you know and i was like wow like there's so many things to learn so i started like really immersing myself in knowledge so i'm always trying to learn something new like george's mom just bought us singing lessons so george can do guitar and i can go singing because yeah because i just feel like why not you know we should really like take advantage of all the knowledge there is to know about the world we never will know in all of it so all the experiences life has to offer you yeah yeah so yeah that's my bit of fluff for your podcast i love it (laughs) 
you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yay, oh, thank you I for loved coming. it. My hand is so sore from holding the <laughs> fucking heavy ass microphone at an angle. At an angle. On a creaky chair, getting eaten by mosquitoes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay, love you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that you guys really enjoyed it. New episodes are out every Wednesday. If you enjoyed it, please will you rate my podcast on Spotify. If you go to the profile, you should see like a little star thing that you can click on and then you can rate it from one to five stars. Let me know what you think. Um, It really adds value to my podcast for people to click on it and be able to see what other people think of it. If you would like to keep track of any new episodes or any new up and coming things, feel free to follow me on Spotify so that you will get notified when anything new comes out and so that I can have at least one piece of incremental data to know that what I'm doing is working. (laughs) If you have any questions or concerns or ideas for upcoming episodes, please feel free to DM me on Instagram. My Instagram page name is Time For Us Podcast. That's very straightforward. You can find me there. Slide into my DMs. No dick pics. As you know, if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, that's the only rule. Please slide in, but leave the dick pics for another day. Thank you for making time for us. Bye.